I'm so extreme. Like I'm too extreme. I have a problem. Like well, I, I mean, can't. Dude, the name of this podcast is called Pretty, Pretty Intense, Intense. So I, I get yeah, it. I, I get it. There are times when I'd be worthy of that title. <laughs> I'll wake up on a Saturday and I'll be like, I'm so glad I've got the whole day free. Like because the, the last five days will have been insanity. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, I've got the whole weekend. I'm just. I'm not going to plan anything. And then I'll be like. Kind of feel like training today. I'm gonna go train today, and I'll that like same day call up a trainer, and I'll be like, "Let's that let, very let, same day yeah, that yeah, you're yeah, so same excited day, that you have same day time off." Within probably an hour later, oh, I'll yeah. be like, "Do you have any training?" So yeah, okay, I booked that in five o'clock. Maybe I should like go on a hike. Yeah, and then That'd I'll be, be a like, nice relaxing after you know what? I'm gonna clear night. out the garage. <laughs> I've been meaning to do that, and then before I know it, I have booked a like this manic day, and. I, this kind of sounds like something I might do. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm pretty intense. I'm really excited about today's episode with Matthew Hussey, or Matt, let's just call him Matt, um, for casual. Uh, we had a really cool conversation, and it was one of these really interesting episodes where I, I know his work so well, and he is an expert in the realm of relationships, and I, I just kept thinking to myself, what am I going to ask him, and where am I going to go with this? And he has just, a, again, just such a giant scope when it comes to that area of expertise. And before the episode, I just thought, you know, know what? I'm just going to like let this free flow. And it ended up being the perfect thing because he's in his own sort of transition and alchemy of um, message. Um, so we had like a really cool conversation that I don't think that is going to be something that is, there's not a lot of it out there. Um, but you're going to hear that relatability that maybe you yourself are going through where it's like, hey, like things are changing and or maybe things are going to change or hey I heard your I heard the things that are going on in your life and I feel similar maybe I'm about ready for a transition. So um, we had a great conversation um, and I hope you leave feeling inspired and prepared to step into whatever it is that life is calling you to. It seems like because in hearing about your family and hearing about having a good relationship, that that is probably why you can speak about relationships is because you have a good one with your family. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that. Mm. Uh, there's Christopher Hitchens, who's a journalist and a writer. He, he actually said one of the big tragedies is that relationship wisdom doesn't get, is, isn't inherited. It doesn't get passed down through the genes. Mm. And therefore, you can have plenty of people who come from families with good marriages or who's, who witness their parents make horrible mistakes, but don't necessarily learn from those mistakes uh, because you, there are some mistakes you have to make yourself or you don't truly realize the pain of them mm. unless you make them yourself. And of course, having a parents with a great marriage is no guarantee that you won't make poor decisions. So, mm. uh, but I will say this, I grew up with a ton of love and that helps. I think if you're really loved mm -hmm. and you're shown what love looks like. Cause you love can, sounds like these birds right now. They're going crazy. It's very idyllic. Oh, I'm expecting so some sort of fairies to start <laughs> jumping around. And I, I, it's very gr sort of ancient, it's very Greek. 
myth <laughs> around us right now. I um, I think when you have a tremendous amount of love and mm. that love, because you, you could go through bad times, you could go through you know bankruptcy or financial hardship, and you can have a struggle growing up. But if you still have love throughout that struggle, mm -hmm. that I think is one of the greatest securities you can benefit from. Okay, but describe that love. Because I think love can come in lots of different forms. Mm -hmm. Like love comes through, um, uh, you know, various attachments, um, through codependency, through all kinds of things. So like when you say love, though, like what is the idealistic sort of hope that you'd grow up with if you were to describe love? When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Well, my, my, you know, it's in my family, there's a good deal of healthy love. And then there's sort of me going home even now and my mum trying to stuff cake and sandwiches <laughs> down my face. Wait, that's not love? <laughs> that, that might be more codependence. I, I, you know, she needs me to so need- I feel good. My mum needs me to need a sandwich. I, uh, I still, there's a few of those remnants when I go home. There's, you know, my mum like trying to feed me. And if I'm, I say no, she's like, oh, go on. You know, and I know in that moment, having a sandwich equates to you still need something from me. And of course, I have to continue to remind my mum, I need you for more than sandwiches. You know, your actual love is the thing that I could never really or would never want to live without. But I, so I do think there are all sorts of, yeah, there are, there, love is often masked by those things, those, the ways people suffocate each other when they don't have enough purpose in their own life and when they're trying to figure out what they're about, or we just get validated from how we get love. You know, I, I, but I do, in my family, the one thing I was always very blessed with was if whatever I wanted to do, even if it was uncomfortable for the people that loved me, if they truly thought it was best for me, they wanted me to do it. Mm. I, me coming to America was one of the hardest things in my life, which is why I could never truly tell myself I was moving to America. Mm. I came here originally because there was a TV show I did. And even then I told myself, three months, let's just see. You know, but I was excited by the notion of coming and being here. But I never really committed to the idea of living here. I always told myself, even today, I sort of tell myself, you know, we'll see. I'm enjoying it here right now. We'll see. Um, 
But my parents, undoubtedly, it must have been incredibly difficult for them and my brothers for me to come here. I thought you said it was difficult for you. Both. Or was it both. everybody? Yeah, both. Because we're so close. We are a very, very close ah. family. But it speaks to the love that, that is pure, that's there, that they would never have said to me, you're leaving us. Like, mm -hmm. what? They, if this is good for you, go and do it. And my family is very much like that with each other. Mm. It kind of reminds me, because I lived in England for three years when I... Uh, was 16 to 19 racing and it was hard but they said I can't imagine you it would be even worse if you didn't have the opportunity right. so while you know my mom cried at night and or you know I think I don't know um, but um, so I heard but you know they were sad that I was gone but they couldn't have imagined that I it would be worse to not have the opportunity and so it sounds similar is that Very it's similar. worse that you didn't have the opportunity it doesn't mean it's not hard though no, very difficult. I mean, every, a lot of choices I've made have been difficult for my, my family. I, my dad was very entrepreneurial, but that came with its ups and downs when I was a kid. And my mum definitely felt those ups and downs. Uh, so when I came out of university and immediately, instead of going and getting a job, I slept on an office floor and said, you know, I'm going to start a business. I had this little tiny office in London. It was like a loft, uh, an attic in a building in London. And I would sleep on the floor in that, in that office. And I remember thinking I was impressing my mum. actually. I remember inviting her up one day to London to be like, look at my office space. And she came in and she saw the sleeping bag on the floor. And uh, I didn't realize until years later, this was only a few couple of years ago, she, went home that night and cried to my dad and i never knew that i at the Our time son is poor yeah well i think it was too there. close to home for her that like you know we put you you know we went through all of these ups and downs and 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 now instead of going and taking a job and having a steady path you're repeating this wild entrepreneurial life of you know, we'd gone bankrupt when I was a kid a couple of times and we got moved from a nice house to a trailer. And like, so it, I think for my mum, it was too like, why, why do you need to like, can't you just go and, and it's not like I was even doing something that sounded promising. When I was 21, I was starting a company that was helping women in their dating lives. So my mum was like, this, this can't be the thing, like, this isn't going to be the thing that's, you know, you're on a, in a sleeping bag in an office, like showering in a sink. Like this can't be the Wait, life. showering in a sink's pretty normal in England. <laughs> <laughs> in the winter, I will tell you, it gets a bit chilly. I mean, I've gone chilly. and stayed in places where there's only a bath and then I have to like Which is a, essentially a big sink. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. And I like had to, I literally <laughs> poured a cup over my head. Well, don't make us sound of, that medieval. But there are some places that are places that are like <laughs> It's very that. Charles Dickens. I, uh, I was racing. At, I was at racetracks in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure that funny. had to do with it. But probably, um, probably. But, so the first, your first job was then, because I'm like super curious mm. how you got to the point of being able to have such wisdom and perspective on relationships. Um, but you say your first job was teaching women. No, well, my first job was at, at 13. I was a pot boy in my dad's nightclub. I was like a... Oh my God, this up. is how you can teach it. You've been like, I you've was been on the scene forever. I suppose. I didn't see much worth replicating in that environment, though. <laughs> so I, you, you also learn 
by things that you don't want. You, by learning what you don't want, you know what you do want. I think the biggest thing I learned in a nightclub was why not to drink. I that was the the key takeaway there is I just saw people on their worst behavior night after night. But I went on to DJ uh, from I, I was my dad was a DJ, and I went on to at eleven years old. I bought my first pair of decks. And I started DJing in, in this nightclub at 14. And I was a late bloomer anyway, so I was tiny. I think my first experience with relationships was negotiating the world of adults. And, you know, bouncers that were these, what to me, they were titans, sure. you know, and the, the kind of clientele that would come and, you know, threaten to punch me if I didn't play their song. Or like I was, I, I was very much in a world of, smoke and beer and adults and learning how to negotiate for i was 14 when i started playing a warm-up set in the in the club that's about when they start letting you in the clubs in england at about 14 anyway that's not far off it's not with the right I'm pretty sure that my right sister ID. and i did that <laughs> yeah yeah it could be quite early but i i just when i was when i was like 11 years old i my dad whether things were going well for us or not he always had books he was my dad really lauded the value of books and wherever we were whether we were in a you know a makeshift trailer situation trying to get back on our feet or whether we were in a, a house he always had a bookshelf and there was always self-development on those shelves hmm. and i was 11 years old when i picked up how to win friends and influence people from no my dad's way. bookshelf yeah and and even then i picked it up because half because i was thought the title you know how ridiculous is this what, that someone would need to win friends and influence people? And yet the other half of me was like, I really want to learn what's oh, in yeah, this book. For, I was kind of thinking it seems like something you'd want to know. <laughs> well, at 11, it's a bit of a weird move. Right. I, but totally. I, I picked it up and I immediately was hooked. I, the idea that... In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. It was a revolutionary idea to me at the time that you can be better in with people and the way you come across and the impact you make that mm. i was a shy kid and the idea that you weren't condemned to your current level of confidence to your current level of ability with people mm -hmm. to your current level of charisma mm. even though i wouldn't have articulated it that way at the time i remember it being this like this discovery to me by the way i didn't know that how to win friends and influence people was a known book i thought i discovered some kind of secret scroll that you know like you were into Dead egypt recently scrolls. like you yeah. felt you found a scroll in a part of the the temple or the pyramid that no one had seen right. like that's how i felt about that book i was like no one knows about this like i've got wow. all these abilities now of this book <laughs> Little did I know it was a seminal self-development classic. No, I used to, I remember actually specifically a girl making fun of me at school because I was reading it in a, in like a break moment. Oh, got it. <laughs> and someone being like, what are you read? Like, why are you reading that? But I, I genuinely was, was hooked. And that, 
The reason I mention it is because when I went into DJing and every other job after that, it, what I learned there and in subsequent books and what that set me on a path of was valuable to me in everything I did. Hmm. It was the most transferable skill set I'd ever learned. And there was no part of my life, whether it, whether it was getting a crowd whipped up into a frenzy from a DJ stand or coaching someone one-to-one or giving a speech to a theater of people in my work now, it was, it was all born out of the same set of skills and I've just been refining them ever since. And of course, trying alongside that to learn to be happy because those two aren't the same thing. Mm. Uh, this, the competence of having impact and being skilled with people and knowing how to articulate a point or an idea to get mm. it across. So all okay, of those I skills. I want to break both of those down. So let's not forget about the be happy thing. Yeah. So then what was it from the book that like, what's the takeaway if you were to say, this is how I. I mean, I think in the beginning, I just would go and use that book. I would practice on teachers at school. Practice what though? It could be anything from listening better to noticing something about them hmm. instead of making it all about me to um, showing, you know, when someone was arguing with me about something, starting by understanding their point of view before talking about my own, showing that they, I really understood them mm. first. It was all the basic stuff. You know, there's, that book is... That book is timeless because it's fundamental, not because it's revolutionary. <laughs> That's the great joke of it all. And I'm sure if I reread that book today, that there would be things in there that I've stopped doing. That I'd go, why did I stop doing that? Because mm. that's the thing about the fundamentals. They are the easiest thing to stop doing, especially when you think you've gotten good at something. Mm. You know, yeah. and we uh, through different phases of our lives, we we do forget certain fundamental things. I mean, how why is it that sometimes we could feel I was happier at 21 than I was at 31? Because maybe at 21 there was something different about your life. We could go on to achieve a lot, and that can detach us from certain truths, certain fundamentals. We can achieve a lot, and suddenly the world makes it all about us. You know, the world keeps yeah. asking you questions about yourself and now you become a worse listener, not because you chose consciously to become a worse listener, but because for a long time now you've been told it's all about you or you've been, mm. every interview is about you. So now you find yourself at a random dinner table expecting that you're going to talk about, like the most interesting thing is you're talking about you when actually mm. if you go back to what you knew at 15 or 18 or 21, it's, Let's make them the star at this dinner table. Huh. But I think it's easy to, all the basics are very easy to forget, which is why I don't, the, da the biggest danger of the way we live right now, the, the greatest opportunity is the availability of information, right? Totally. It's also the greatest danger because we have so many voices, huh. so many experts, so many podcasts, so many videos, so many of sure. everything that we can get lost in a sea of advice and forget that there's like five things 
Okay, what are they? <laughs> you're great at lists. I mean, I like, you're great at lists. I don't think I are. You're like, the five things, the three mm. things, the ten things, Yeah, the well, that's easy thing. in an edited video. I was, I, when I'm, I was on the Today Show, and I literally <laughs> said to Kathy Lee and Hoda, they said Sorry. to me, Matt, what do you think about uh, whatever the question was? And I went, well, Kathy Lee and Hoda, there's really three things you have to remember <laughs> about that. I learned there and then, never on live TV, give a number for how many things you're going to say. Because that commits you yeah. to remembering those three things, which I didn't. I got to the end of the first one, and then I said, number two. And I realized I no longer knew what number two was. Oh. <laughs> and I, I literally said, I, 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 um, I forgot. What number two was in Kathy and Hoda looked at me and she went, I could see that you forgot. And here was what I did, thinking this was clever. I went, no, 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 I got it. Number two. Now I thought that by saying that, I would remember that somehow in me saying, like, I've got it, I would buy myself a moment to then have it. I still didn't have it. So then I got I got to the end of that sentence and went, Yeah, I uh I still I still don't remember. Yeah, and she goes, let's there. move on. Perfect. What are some fundamentals that you do like every day, like today, tomorrow, like in your daily activity that are so ingrained in you from reading that book and from practice and that what are, what are some of them that you're trying to implement? So like what's established, what's, what's subconscious programming and what is trying, what is in the conscious mind that you're trying to integrate i think so from that book i think i think about it less and less in a sense because a lot of like coming here and doing a podcast is is home in a way right like that's i'm a, i you could put me on stage and say matt the audience is just going to fire questions at you and i you know on live tv whenever you go on tv the producers always come to you and they say here's the questions that people right. are going to ask you and i'm like i don't i don't want to you can tell right. me there if you want it makes no difference to me i'm i'm like, the same I'm, I'm, good. I'm like in fact don't ask me yeah. because i'd rather not know because the most spontaneous answer right. feels nicer which also speaks though to the fact that you've built that skill set mm. you know over time whether consciously and directly or whether it's just because the amount you've been exposed to the limelight it, Same. you've built that i so for me i don't think as much about that i do think i'm always looking to refine like i'm uh, we can talk sure. about that differently but i'm always looking at things in my speech for example now one of the things i really think about a lot is did i use too many words to say that you know instead of thinking you start out in public speaking and you're constantly in the mood or in the mode of have i got enough to say that's sure. always the fear how am i going to fill all the time right you know now i'm the reverse because that's never that's not been a problem for me for years mm. so now i think do am i am i using up too much time to say what i need to say can i say it quicker more efficiently mm. can i say it better but aside from those tweaks i think more these days about the, fu the fundamentals for me these days are what are the things I need to do each day to be happy and to bring my best to my life and to the people around me? Because I don't think it's all about my happy. I'm not, I'm actually not one of these people that thinks the goal is to be happy all the time. Um, I, I, I don't, 
I think we have an obsession with being happy. And that whilst I think that experiencing happiness, I think firstly, happiness is a cloudy concept. There's different versions of happiness. A lot of people equate happiness to pleasure. And those two things aren't the same thing. Like someone recently said to me, because I was complaining about, you know, a stressful day. And they were saying to me, it should be fun. And I was like, really? Like, where did you get that idea? Mm. I just don't agree. Like when someone says something like that to me, I'm like, sometimes. Like this is, this is fun. Mm. But Good. this is. But this is different. This is not me like like laboring over my my book this morning or trying like like trying to like how does this that's right. tough. Like I'm sure being a race car driver wasn't always fun. Right. Challenging. Totally. You know, you do it a lot and, and you, there's a kind of quiet fulfillment that comes from doing hard things. That's not the same as fun. That's exactly right. They I remember my last race and it was the Indy 500 and somebody said are you having some are you having fun and I was like <laughs> fun I was like fun is being drunk I was like I'm out there at 240 right. hoping that I keep it on the track yeah. I'm like yeah. no it's not fun but it can definitely be rewarding like it yes. can in sort of in a different way but it's not I wouldn't say it's fun and so I totally yeah exactly so I I, I really I really want to bring my best self to my life you know whether it's to my family my friends my work mm -hmm. and to myself mm -hmm. and i i do more than ever in the last few years i am more and more aware that being happier being less stressed is a version of energy that allows you to bring more mm -hmm. to your life mm. and so i find myself increasingly i and by the way, I'm still figuring this out. So this is not, I'm not coming to you about this from a place of like, here's, you know, everything I've You don't have all the answers. That's why you're here today. Come on I now. I definitely don't have all the answers. <laughs> I, I'm but here I, for your story. I really, I've been someone in my life who has been used to saying yes to a lot of things and is, has consistently overestimated the amount I can do the amount of things that I can cram into a day or a week or a month and consistently leaves myself with uh, an enormous to-do list that's unfinished at the end of every day because of the amount that I load on. And the effects of that, I, I think, are not good. You know, I think that whilst you, you can still achieve it, an incredible amount that way, but it doesn't leave me feeling great because you're always looking at this list that you didn't get to. Mm. You're always looking at what you didn't do and you could have done brilliant things. But while everyone else is saying, look at what you've done, you're going, mm -hmm. but look at what I didn't do. And so I, that was my tendency for a long time. I'm saying all of this because when you ask me what are the fundamentals today, I, I look at my day and I try to get out of the old habits I have of waking up stressed before the day has even begun because I'm anticipating everything that I'm going to have to do today that I've decided right. 
No one came down from on high and said, Matt, this is everything you have to do today. Even if it's my staff or my like people around me or whatever saying, but we need this from you and that from you and that from you. I did that. I created that. They didn't appear out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I built a business. I had to like, so I've created all these demands on my time. And then I add my own to it as well. And so I, I try to have a simplicity about the way I view my day now, where I say, there's only a handful of quite simple things that need to happen for me to have a great day. It's not this crazy schedule and this, that, and the There's a few things that need to happen. One, I need to do like two great hours of work. Great. And by that, I don't mean that's how long I'll be working today. Because anyone who runs a company and does knows that you work a lot longer than that. But most of the time we say we're working, we're kind of working. It's true. Right? It's like the kid who's like at college and they're like, I've just been in the library studying for the last 11 hours. You're like, no, you haven't. Or on social media. You've like been studying <laughs> for like three, maybe two. Yeah. You have not been studying in the library for the last 11 hours. <gasps> right. Um, we don't have that much in us, you know, energy-wise. Uh, yeah. Our cognitive bandwidth is not going to allow us to do that. So we only have a couple of, I, I truly believe, and I think neuroscience uh, uh, confirms this in, in some form, that we only have a couple of like really great hours in us a day. and. Mm -hmm. Using them wisely is one of the fundamentals to me. Hmm. That if I'm currently writing a book or if I'm trying to make something special, those couple of hours need to be focused on that very cognitively demanding task. If I lose them, I never quite get them back. You know, if it gets to 4 p.m. and I still haven't done that thing, right. the chances of me getting that back are slim. And I won't have that good feeling that comes that sort of stays for a lot of the day when I wake up and do something difficult. And then for the rest of the day, I have that. Like, I, I really believe when people say, you like, enjoy the process when it comes to like the gym. Fine, if you can learn to enjoy the gym, that's awesome. That's a good thing. But, but that's not necessarily why you go, you go to the gym for an hour of discomfort so that the other 23 hours feel better. That's a good trade. True. Like, I, I, I like that trade. There's a lot of I don't have to love the gym. Mm -hmm. I have to love what it makes me feel for the other 23 hours. Mm -hmm. And for me, I boil my life down to a set of fundamental criteria that really boils down to a small set of things that if I tick those boxes each day, mm -hmm. life's going to be pretty mm -hmm. good. So mm -hmm. one of those criteria is two great hours of meaningful work on something that I really want to create or, or do. Mm -hmm. That's not phone calls and emails and whatever. That's like meaningful work on something I'm making, something I'm creating. Yeah. Movement is another one of my criteria. And the cool thing about criteria, the, the way I think about them is that you can, you can chunk up or you can niche down. So like if you take, I could have said when it comes to movement, like my favorite activities are boxing or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I love both. But here's the problem with like, you can, you can say 
every day I need to box or every day I need to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in order to feel good. But you always have to be aware that what that's giving you is, is if you chunk up, something more abstract. It gives you a feeling of whatever it may be. Like, for example, if you ask someone who dances every day, what do you love about dancing? Mm -hmm. They'll often say the same types of things. Well, I love getting into my body. I love that feeling of getting out of my head. I love that feeling of uh, freedom that mm -hmm. comes when I do that, of abandon. I love the creativity. I love the, you know, connecting with something like music. Or There's something bigger going on there than the movements in salsa dancing. Right. And it's really important to remember that because when you chunk up, you realize that your criteria are quite simple and there are thousands of ways to meet each criteria. Mm. And in, I haven't been able to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in a year and a half now mm. or a year because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to chunk up to what this gives me and then chunk back and then niche down again to something specific that, I, that allows me to fulfill that in a different way. Whether it's boxing, mm -hmm. whether it's training at the gym, whether it's getting into running or whatever. So you're saying movement. So, so movement you're like is breaking the it down to movement. You like, so you're, so like the fundamental is movement. Correct. But then you're like, I like these Correct. things, but I can kind of go over here with it or yep. there. And if you said to me today, Matt, uh, do you want to go on a hike? And I said, ah, but I was going to box today. Uh -huh, it's yeah. good to be able to switch it uh -huh. out and be yeah. like, well, this still ticks that criteria for me. Sure. So as long as... If I see my day as a kind of uh, every day, it's about did I actually do these fundamental things in some form? You know, I, I need some form of connection every day. One day it might be calling my mum. A different day it might be spending some quality time with a friend and having a meaningful conversation. A different, sure, sure, So sure. there's different ways to meet that every day. But I do know every day I need some form of connection. Mm -hmm. I know that every day I need... Uh, like to ab absorb something mm. if I can, whether mm. new information, new learning. Yeah. Now that could be from a podcast, it could be from a book, it could be from a conversation, but I need to feel like I'm absorbing something mm -hmm. new. And if you add up all of these criteria, mm -hmm. it only amounts to four or five, six maybe things. Mm. And if I wake up every day and, and say, okay, my day's full, but I'm only achieving one of my criteria in all of that, which is what happens when we get way out of balance. I was just going to say total imbalance. Right. And that's happened to me before where I'm achieving an extraordinary amount in my work and deeply unhappy. Hmm. And that's because my full being isn't being expressed. But the danger in life is that if a certain part of your criteria gives you a ton of validation, you can get addicted to it. Mm. So if your work is something that, you know, every day you do it and it keeps giving you accolades and trophies and attention and everyone comes up to you and says, it's amazing what you did. Like that thing. Are you, is why are you talking about me? Why are you just <laughs> looking at me and saying these things to me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I mean, it, but it's a real, it was my old life, but I mean, I, I, fortunately it didn't have to be, yeah. be my existence. It, it dominated my time, but by no means was my means to an end. But what we get the most validation for, validation creates mutation. And 
whatever we whatever people feed our ego on mm. is often the thing that becomes mutated in our life you see that physically with people who are obsessed with the gym and you mm. have the the guy with the why are you, you know, still talking about the, me <laughs> in every way you see it and that, like but you said something interesting i heard where you said you were asked about race car driving and you said i didn't love it mm -hmm. that's exactly in line with what i'm talking about It's here true. because you didn't If you stopped there, people might get the wrong impression. Mm. They might get the impression, oh, so she was never happy. She never enjoyed it. She never. Right. No. W what was important was what you said after that. Mm -hmm. So you said, I, it, I didn't love it. There were aspects of it I loved. Yeah, that's right. Right. I. It allowed me to set a goal mm -hmm. and achieve that goal. It allowed me to mm -hmm. have something to focus on, yeah. to master. To. Yeah. So what you're really describing there is not this answer to your happiness prayers in racing it's something that for a time allowed me to meet some of my criteria yeah yeah that's so wow thank you for like unpacking me right there that's true i mean that makes sense that there's just like yes the the there was certain aspects or criteria within that job yeah. that were fulfilling me And um, yes, there was an imbalance probably because there wasn't enough sort of aspects or buckets to right. like in the day. But um, but that's why I could keep doing it, too. Right. We can use anything as a means to, like you said, through movement, you could be doing jujitsu, you could be doing hiking, you could. You, there's tons of ways to do movement. Right. So there's yep. tons of ways to set a goal and accomplish it. And for me, it was very like racing was that thing for so long, amongst many uh, others. But um But, but that, that makes perfect sense. And I wish that everyone could hear you say that because it, I honestly think that is one of the most important messages. You, hearing from you, someone who has achieved on an extraordinary level on something that, you know, A, has so many fans, but B, would be seen, whether by fans or not, as a kind of like situation where someone's found their calling. Right. I think... For people to hear that is an incredible pressure valve and incredibly necessary because we have this myth of the calling. Hmm. You know, we're always like, like people say to me, Matt, you found your calling. I'm like, no, I haven't. Mm. I found something that meets my criteria. Mm. There are a hundred of those. Hmm. There's many. Like, and by the way, there will be many. Mm. My life is going to evolve and it's going to change direction. And I'm going to, in 10 years, I'll be speaking about other things, new things. I'll have evolved. So I don't want anyone to come along and tell me I've found my calling because that pigeonholes me. Mm. I want to, uh, you know, don't reduce me to, to one thing. That, I'm not that simple. Mm. But we have a society that, especially these days, is all about follow your passion, follow your calling, follow, find your purpose. Mm. And it's, it sounds like it's motivational talk, but I actually think it's the opposite <laughs> because it, it freaks people out. Mm. It freaks them out when they don't know what their passion sure. is. It freaks them out when they have many passions and they're like, so I'm supposed to just do one thing. Like this is, <laughs> this has to be the be all end all of who I am on this earth. I have many things I love. <laughs> It freaks people out when they look at other people and who are really successful and think, have a false impression of what that thing is like. They're living their bliss because they found their calling and their purpose and they're just, And it's just not like that. I know people see me on stage at my retreat and 
I know there. I know for a fact because people come to me and they're like, "I want to do what you do," and I'm like, "What is it you think I do?" <laughs> they're like, "Well, I want to like you on stage, and I want to be that." Well, <laughs> guess what? My retreat happens twice a year. Yeah, it's for, a byproduct. For six days. <laughs> so that means twelve days of three hundred and sixty-five days of the year are me on stage doing that. The most of the rest of my year is me at home on a laptop. Like running a team, remotely through Zoom, that's most of my year. You, if you say I want to be a speaker, that's actually a very different path than what I do because speaking is this much of what I do, and then there's run, being a CEO of a company, and then there's all these different things, managing a team, and we have these false perceptions. And I genuinely loved when you said that because I was like, everyone needs to hear this because they would take some pressure off themselves and say,、mm-hmm. a thousand things could be my thing.、Mm-hmm. My job is not to find my one true calling. My job is to do a thing and to make sure that it's a thing that meets some of my criteria.、Mm-hmm. And as I go, to cr- try and craft that thing to meet more of my criteria.、Mm-hmm. Because it's a sculpting process. It's, kind of, it's like it's almost like a little bit of a parallel to a person、uh, to to who you are as a person. It's like I was I felt so fortunate that in my career I was able to show all these different like aspects of myself as a person. Where I was like, you know, I'm the girl on a cover of a magazine, and you know, I'm in a swimsuit, or I'm you know giving a speech, or I'm you know in the in my ra- you know racing and hardcore, or you know, there's so many different ways, and I could kind of I I was able to show all these different sides of、mm. me, and I was always trying to remind people that they're all me. Like, don't think that I just have to be this race car、yep. driver. Like, I'm all these other things. I want to be funny. I want to be cool. I want to be smart. I want to be. I want to learn. I want to be sexy. I want to like.、Yeah. There's all these other aspects of me, and、um, it's similar that you know. Why can't we? Wh- wh- why do we have to be one thing?、And、why do you always just have to be Matt, the relationship guy? And the what secret, if you want to be Matt, the the guy talking about what we're talking about sure, today? Sure, exactly. Because we've not. You know, people ask me a lot of dating questions. We haven't. We're having a great conversation, and it's we're not talking about dating for any of it yet. You know, we might. That's fine, but so far. Anyone who knows me online as the dating guy, for the last twenty minutes, has suddenly realised, oh wow, he's got more to say,、mm-hmm. and it's actually important. The world will constantly try to put you in a narrative、mm-hmm. because we like things to be simple. It's true. We want narratives we don't have to continually adjust to. Mm, we want to say, yeah, this person's that, that person's that, or whatever. Like it's easy, and also, by the way, it doesn't affect our identity if someone stays in their place. This is a whole other concept that、oh. I'm fascinated by. But like, yeah, if someone, huh, the moment you change something about yourself, <laughs> it affects everyone that knows you. Not just it, it, you could affect them in a positive way where they get inspired by it, but it could all equally make them feel like. Well, wait, hang on. You stay in your place. Why is Danica Patrick talking about health and wellness and what? Like, why doesn't she just stick to this thing、mm. she knows? But the, when we do that, it's there's a kind of insecurity we have that if they switched gears and if they're talking about something else, then maybe my story about like I have to stick in my lane is not true. But then 
then I'd have to be brave enough to step out of my lane and do something different. I don't want to do that. So I'd rather believe that we're sort of on our set paths and we tend to critique, uh, critique someone and bash them until they get enough credibility to where it no longer is productive to bash them because we're now like, well, they're too far gone. Mm. Like, you know, I'm sure there was a day where people looked at Joe Rogan and were like, why is he, who does he think he is? Like a radio show host or something? Like, he's, this isn't, he should stick to, you know, fighting and comedy. Yeah. Like, this isn't his thing. And, what, and of course, there's a certain point where it becomes undisputable that, well, he's like one of the biggest podcasters in the entire world. So, it, to me, I see this like, um, to me, it's like uh, we see this in our society so much with people that um, have to change their belief systems. Maybe it's religious, maybe it's political, mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, or, or even just be open-minded is that they tend to have this sort of uh, regimented cognitive dissonance with their own world that they're not able to think differently because as soon as they look at one of those foundational aspects of their life differently, mm -hmm. then to me, I describe it like it's like a house of cards. As soon as you pull one of those bottom cards out, then all the, or maybe it's even looking at the government, like questioning things that outside of you. But as soon as you sort of take your belief structure or something that you believe about somebody else and pull that card out, what does it mean? And so for me, it means that you have new, now, you have accountability for your life and that you could change it, that you're in charge of it, that it could look different, that you might have to, that you, you have to, you have to see yourself in a whole new way. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's very scary. To change your mind about things is, is effort. Mm -hmm. And, and it's even more effort and more scary when we have built our identity around those things that we yeah. believe. Right. Because it leaves us with an existential problem of, if I don't believe this, then who am I? If I'm not someone who's like, who's really good at this thing and that's what they do, then who am I? You know, I, I, I remember making a conscious decision. I started what I do at an unhealthy age to start what I do. <laughs> You know, I was 20. Young. I don't know if it was unhealthy. No, but definitely. It's, it's unhealthy. Definitely unhealthy. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because at 20 yeah, or 21, like being uh, admired for having lots of answers is a very dangerous thing. And then that's all the girls that you psychoanalyzed along the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Those, that, that's been okay. It'd be, it'd be harder if I had built an army of men. Who were, who were, or men, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I, I got a lot of attention at an early age for having answers and being good at it. How old are you now? 33. The danger of that is that your validation becomes your mutation, right? I now say I'm getting a lot of attention and a lot of support and a lot of validation for being right about mm -hmm. things. That can easily send you down a path of thinking my whole life now, I, who knows anything at 21, right? I knew some things, but clearly had so much to learn. 
So it's a very dangerous thing to get attached to the identity of having the answers at an age where you should be open and exploring and asking lots of questions and trying to absorb. And I remember getting to a point in my 20s where I, I said, I can be one of two things going forward. I can either be the guru type who like keeps having all the answers and keeps knowing, you know, you ask me a question, I've always got the answer. I could be that or I can increasingly show my flaws, what I'm worried about, what I'm insecure about, what I'm struggling with, what I'm trying to learn and, and let people see that because that's a more, A, that's a more sustainable personality. You know, like that, that's something I can grow with. That allows me to grow. And B, um, it's, I'm not constantly needing to play like I know what I don't know. It's cleaner. I can just know what I know and not know what I don't know. And right. sometimes not even be sure of what I know. Right. When someone gets attached to their identity, their opinions, their you know, their way of thinking, it's very stifling. Mm. And letting go of it, we, we want to know why people find it hard. Uh, you're wrong. You're clearly wrong. How do you continue to believe this? We don't, we, we're very quick to look at the facts of someone's beliefs, but we don't look at beliefs in the same conversations as needs. And you have to look at both in the same conversation because it's, so many beliefs have nothing to do with facts. They just have to do with needs. This hmm. idea makes me feel, well, uh, you know, you can have someone politically who thinks, who needs something in order to feel better than everybody else. I need to align with this party or this belief system because it makes me feel righteous. Mm -hmm. It's just like grand scale codependency. <laughs> well, it's like I, there's no nuance now in an argument because your argument isn't about seeking truth. It's about feeling better than everybody else. You're, you know, we get people who attach themselves to some religious beliefs where it's sure. just about security as opposed to whether that particular idea about a religion or makes any sense. It's about, I, I need to feel secure and this thing makes me feel secure. And we rarely evaluate the needs that underpin beliefs mm. that make people believe something and make mm. it very hard to give up something. Mm. That's not, what I think we all have to do for ourselves is look at what am I gonna attach my importance to? Or what am I gonna attach my significance to? If I attach my significance to being right, then I'm not going to take many risks to be wrong. Totally. And, and that's going to sh sh make my life smaller. If I attach, like I like to attach my, some of my significance to just looking for truth. And if I attach significance, but if that's your, if that's the case, then if I say something today where I'm like, said that but I don't really agree with it I don't know why I said it I, I I'm annoyed that I said it I'm instead of being like having to pretend like I do think that was the right thing and defend it I can just be like yeah I said this thing on a Danica Patrick interview which actually I don't even agree with and she made a she actually made a better point about this and that's what I'm going to believe from now on because I actually think she's more right about that than I am wasn't that simply just being open-minded it's yeah, but in order to be open-minded, 
you do have to let go of certain attachments. I have to let go of that yes. need to be yes to be right, right all the time. Or to validate what you think is right. Yeah. And if I think, like, it even comes down to my relationship with my audience. If I say, do I want a relationship with my audience where I teach them that I'm right all the time? Or do I want to have an identity with them that says, hey, I'm Matthew Hussey. I am probably going to get it wrong a lot. But I promise you, I'm always going to be looking for the most truthful answer to your problems and the things you're struggling with. And I'll tell you my most truthful answer at the time. And if at any point yeah. I get better information, I'm happy <laughs> to, to discredit anything I've ever said to give you a better version of, of what I know today. If mm. I have that relationship with my audience, mm. then my now like I can truly be powerful because I can they know they can trust what I'm saying. They don't know to that they can trust that what I'm saying is always right, but they know it's always the truth for me at that moment. Sure. And they know that at any point I'll revise anything I've said. If my significance comes from that, now we have a route to true mastery. Where have you learned these great sort of insights? Actually, let me back up. I want to ask about ego first, because it feels like a lot of this has to do with the relationship with the ego, which would be the, you know, that part of us that wants to be right, needs to be right, validated. You know, I love the old saying, like, you know, the, the, the ego is impatient because it knows its time is limited, but the soul <laughs> is patient because it knows it has forever. So, you know, what, what, what is the role of it and how do we work with it? Because I think it has a function, um, a great function, mm. um, but it, it can override so many things. So what's the role of the ego? That's such a big question. I, I'm, I'm still kind of playing with this idea because. Perfect. I, Your truth right now. My, yeah, because my, you know, I have a boxing trainer, Martin Snow, who whenever I'm, whenever I'm in the ring, one of his favorite phrases is kill your ego. <laughs> Cause he's like, the moment you get in the ring and you're sparring and you see a person who is, has better technique than you or is bigger than you or is faster than you or whatever, that's ego. Like you're immediately sort of bringing your mm. ego into the equation. Mm -hmm, you, he said, mm -hmm. you're not fighting a person, you're fighting a style. Mm. He said, mm. so re forget the person. Because your insecurity peaks up yeah. to counteract the attack on your ego of like, I'm the best. Oh wait, their technique's better. And it's a response it's a, it's to the a, ego. Yeah, like I'm putting wow, myself yeah. in competition with a person yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. just being like, I'm not fighting a person, I'm fighting a style. You know, and and he would always say to me, kill your ego. And the moment I would start to in boxing, you burn a lot of energy just in the way you you tense up and you breathe, <laughs> especially when you're when you have a real prospect of getting hit. The body suddenly starts working ah. differently than when you're hitting a bag. Ah. You have a lot more energy hitting a bag than hitting a person because the, you're not there's no fear involved. Ooh. The moment you're in a ring and now all of a sudden there's the adrenaline and there's the fear and there's the you're like you're burning a lot of energy just just oh. tensing up and. That's why you could put two people in a ring and the, you can have a boxing trainer who is far more out of shape than the person they're, they're coaching. Like I got some of my boxing trainers have been incredibly out of shape, right? They're like, you know, I, one of Martin is like a guy in his fifties who's like 
you know, he's not training every day. He's not like, he's out of shape, but he'll still run rings around me because he's more relaxed. Mm. Because he's, he's not like tensing up in the ring. I'm burning like, all of uh, this energy. an analogy for like a resistance when you like with the certain things emotionally or mentally. Yeah. It's like, you know, sort of attachment creates resistance. It's yes. sort of like almost similarly, like that, the ego creates the resistance. That's right. And that's where the ego is the enemy. And, and you know, for me on stage, Ryan it's Holiday. a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ego is the enemy. It, on stage, I like, I, I think what really helps me when to shed stage fright is instead of thinking I need to look cool on stage, just thinking, I really care about these people and I want to, mm. I actually want them to, I want to try in the time I have with them to give them as many things as I can that can help them. And when I think about it like that, I don't think about it in terms of looking good. I think about it in terms of making an impact and that immediately dissolves so much of the fear associated with when I go on tour getting on stage, there's always some nerves. It's not like I shed my nerves completely, but I know that if I'm too nervous, it's because I've made it all about me. And I therefore think that ego is a very dangerous thing. But there's a friend of mine who always jokes, he's like, I wanna write a book called, you know, Jameson Jordan who films mm -hmm. my, my content. He always jokes, he's like, yeah, but I wanna write a book called In Defense of Ego. Oh. He said, because I, I like think that ego is kind of important sometimes. And it is. And I and I and I wonder about that because ego does make. Okay, us so do. the good role. So now let's let's literally vet it, vet that out yeah. on that side of it. Right. So you just well, like said, kill the ego now, like in defense of the ego. What would you say or what would he say? <laughs> I think that. Uh, I mean, look, ego has been responsible for an enormous amount of my achievement in my life. A lot of the things that now give me and my family security and and financial independence mm -hmm. and a better life mm -hmm. have come from a well I, I tell a lie they started from a place of real insecurity like i i don't i want my family to be okay i want us to be able to you mm -hmm. know i don't want us to have financial problems later on and so there was a lot of that for me at the beginning real survival stuff but once survival is no longer the the game because yeah. you know yeah everything's not burning down and you look around and you're like okay everyone's okay now that's mm -hmm. where ego starts to to come in and say yeah but we could be here and i think that there's a lot of things i've done because of the excitement of if i create this thing it's going to be really great and there's some of the intention is it's going to help people and some of the intention is it's also going to make me look really good because I've, you know, said it really well. You know, I've crafted an amazing speech. I've written an amazing book. There's, you know, I'd be lying if there, if I said there wasn't some element of that in there when you write a great chat. But that that's the interplay between ego and intention. Because oh, for me, when I... Intention, so powerful. When I write... A, it's the whole point, in my opinion. Well, I th yeah, I think the intention that... I, it's the intention of wanting of book, to help the people correct. in the audience versus yeah. the uh, ego going like, I'm on stage, I'm the guy, <laughs> yeah. right? Is well, go, like the intention of wanting to be the guy that's right. is you want to help people, but you got to be the guy to help people. Yeah, I think though, I always think about it in terms of a car. Ego. Oh, I'm sure I'll get this then. <laughs>
I didn't craft this specifically for you. You <laughs> sure. must be sick of car metaphors. <laughs> I, no, I think they're great. I think about it in terms of there's in the car at all times is my best intentions and my ego. They're both in the car. Mm -hmm. I never fully get ego out of the car. Mm -hmm. But the seats in the car matter. So when I start writing a, a, a chapter of a book or when I start crafting a speech, the intention is, I, I know this is a concept people really need to hear. Like I know this is something people, or even like if I make a weekly video, I've been making a, a new weekly video for nine years now. Every time I make a video, it starts from a place of, and before every video, I ask the same question. I usually have a crisis right before a video where I've crafted it all, scripted it all. And then I get right before the video and I'm like, this video sucks. Oh my God. And, it, and I, I'll look at Jameson and I'll be like, oh, why, why are we even doing this video? <laughs> but that question is really important. the girls want to know, okay? The girls want to know. Well, and the guys need to know. No, I'm just kidding. But it always does come down to, that that question sounds at the time silly, but it's actually the most important question is, okay, we've done all the work. We've scripted this video and what we want it to be about and so on. Why does this video even need to exist? Like, why is it important we do this video? And if we can't answer that question well, it's a problem. It means we're actually Can not aligned. You, do you have times where you can't answer it? Huh? Do you ever have times where you can't answer it or do you always have an answer for it? There are times where I think it's, it rarely means we don't do the video. What it often means is, ah, you know what, at its, we've been making it about all of this stuff. At its core, it's about this. You know, if we're doing a video about like um, what to do, uh, you know, what to do when he ghosts you. Right. Let's take that. <laughs> right. What to do when he ghosts you. Now, on its surface, it's like, really, we have to make a video about this. Like, I don't, the ghosting is a very term I am bored of, you know, but, but then when you boil it down and say, well, hang on, like, why do we need to do this? Well, when, you like someone, at, at its core, what's the problem with ghosting? It's that you like someone, you had hopes for what it might be. And then not only does it not turn out to be that, but it leaves you with this horrible sense that you're not even important enough for someone to communicate with. That, you know, What's, what is wrong with me that someone wouldn't even think to, and maybe I'll never know. Maybe mm. there's something deeply wrong with me and I'll never even know what it is. We have anger towards the person, but really it's like this deep hurt and, and this fear of, I, I'm worthless. I am worthless. I couldn't keep the person. I couldn't even get a, a, a baseline level of decency. Like, I'm, I, we don't, if we're, if ghosting is troubling us, it's different to be like, wow, that person's, that person ghosted me. I don't want them in my life. That's one thing. But when it's troubling us, mm. we know that it's not to do with them. Cause if it's just to do with them, you just go, well, I just don't want them in my life. 
Right. But why is it sticking with me?、Mm-hmm. It's sticking with me because I, it's it's really made me question my own value. And so, if we get to that video, which on the surface the title makes it sound like a you know like surface level silly dating advice video, what to do when he ghosts you? But if right before the video I sit with Jamison and I go, why do we need to make this video? And we say, you know what, we need to make this video because this actually, beneath all of the like silly conversations that we have with friends and whatever, when someone ghosts us and I hate this person, what an idiot, blah blah blah. Beneath all of that is like real pain. Is it, people are actually suffering because it's made them question their own value.、Mm-hmm. This isn't a video about ghosting. This is a video about reminding people of their value. All right, now making the video.、Mm, a reframe,、It's, and you also have connected with emotions. The core of what this thing is about. I, I you know, that did you see the film Inception? Love, love that film. There's a there's a moment in that movie that's. It's so important. Which and spoiler alert, go forward five minutes in this interview if you don't. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's probably past the point,、minute. right? It's、I、fair mean, game now. Yeah. There's a moment where they're trying to get this guy to make a different decision.、Mm-hmm. They need to go into his dreams, into his subconscious,、mm-hmm. and get him to make a decision that he wasn't going to make. And the decision is, you know, he has this huge monopoly on an industry, and they need him to break up the business so that. Uh, it doesn't it become a corrupting influence in the world, and they're trying to figure out how do we infiltrate this guy's brain to get him to make this decision. And the way they do it is they say we need to tap into the deepest well of emotion that this guy has, the relationship with his father. And what they realize is, if they can go into his subconscious and convince him that his father, deep down. Who and he? All he wants really in life is for his dad to be proud of him. That、mm-hmm. deep down, his father, more than anything else, more than wanting him to be this great business tycoon, would be most proud of him if he went on his own journey and did things his way.、Mm-hmm. If we can convince him of that, then that will be the thing that makes him break up the company. And so that's what they do. Now, that's tapping into the deepest why. That's available to that guy. Now, the reason I say all of this is because when I go to make a video and I'm asking these kinds of questions, that boils things down to the purest of intentions. Now, let's say I make the video, and because it came from such an authentic place, and because I really connected with the concept, and because I did it really well, it goes viral. <laughs> and because it goes viral. Thousands and thousands of people are commenting and going, "Oh my God, this video is amazing!" This and more than that, they're going, "This man is a genius!" Right? Not just the video is amazing. This man is a genius. I love. They're sharing. They're tagging friends. I love this guy. You have to watch his videos. All of that now is not feeding necessarily intention, but ego.、Mm. And where intention was driving the car to get that video made. Somewhere, without me realizing it, ego took the wheel, and intention is now a passenger. How do I know? Because I'm nervous about the next video. So it's cyclical. Well, the success of this video has made me go. I'm really nervous about the next one now because yeah, people、right? really loved this one. <laughs> I got to make was... it either better or at least、right. really good too. Now、and、I know intention 
intention is now a passenger mm. or is maybe not even a, a, a passenger in the front seat. Maybe intention is now in the back seat mm. and ego is driving. And I know because I'm nervous, much more nervous than I was a week before. What changed? Not my ability to make a great video. What changed is all the attention that I got <laughs> and, and the way things people mm. said. So when it comes to defense of ego, I, I think that at some point in our life, we probably can all point to something that we achieved or did where the result came. We did something quite difficult or quite amazing in some cases because of ego. Yeah. The, I, I perhaps, perhaps the answer is that as we get wiser, we realize that ego as a fuel is a really toxic fuel because no matter what I achieve, it will never be satisfied. Totally. It's insatiable. So it's more about consciously saying, I'm going to let good intention, pure mm. intention be the fuel. And you still have fuel. It's just a cleaner burning fuel mm. than ego. And that's what I'm trying to do these days is recognize that whilst ego has created a lot of good things in my life, not just ego, by the way, mm. still good intentions, but, you know, a, a contaminated mix of the two, that more and more I want good intention, pure intention to be in the driving seat. I think that personally, I think that uh, all information is carrying frequency. And it's through that intention and through the purity of it and how clean it is, mm -hmm. is the frequency. Like people can feel like people can feel that resonant frequency. So the information coming out of their mouth, it's like what I use, like the uh, you going to work and you're like, oh, I hate my boss. Screw this. I just oh, I don't want to see him. And then you walk in. He walks in. and Oh, hey, bud. Good to see you. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Nice to see you. How was your weekend? And like the frequency underneath is a is a lie. It's a big, fat lie. And so we're having this. There's like a mass confusion it's the mask of, of mass confusion that the information coming out of us doesn't always resonate with the frequency that ex is right. truly there and so we feel the frequency even though we don't know we're feeling that i agree but that's why so i if i'm gonna guess or use my you know information in my head about all of these different concepts is that's why your videos hit is because you connect with the intention so the frequency of the information is resonating with people so not only do they get good information but they feel it too i 1000 percent agree and for anyone out there because we we do register it when someone sounds when there's a fakeness and inauthenticity we we register it on some strange level I always, I would actually say in all of the videos I've ever done, there's always been an authenticity, but fear played too much of a part in the early stages of, you know, wanting to sound a certain way, wanting to be perceived a certain way. And that was all fear talking. And, and the older I've gotten, and I've got a long way to go, but the, the more I the more I become a bit like, I don't know what the word is. I, I become a bit like, ah, fuck it. Yes. Like, oh my God, just, my saying's, oh well, oh well. Right. Yeah. 
Fuck it. Oh, well. It's the same. I, I kind of think, you know what? I just, I come to this podcast, video, interview, whatever, thinking. You rolled up today and said, fuck it. Oh, well, however this goes. <laughs> in Sort of. Yeah. You know, I, I come and I'm just like, whatever you ask me, I am just going to be the most, be yourself sounds very trite. And I, I'm, I'm wary of that advice because I think it's not, being yourself isn't the same as, like you still want to bring your best. You still want to try your hardest mm -hmm. at something. Being yourself isn't like, go ahead, Danica, like ask away, whatever you want. I'm just going to lay back in my chair and be myself. It's like, no, I still want to lean into the conversation and give my best. But but I really want to, to just answer in a way that, makes me walk away feeling good about me. You know, like, what's so funny is that I norm, I mean, I always do prep before every interview. And, um, and so I did some, of course. Um, but normally I would come up with, you know, two pages of just kind of like general questions. And then I kind of organize my thoughts and I have a flow. And I at least have an outline for what I want to ask. And, you know, I know your work so well because I've watched so many videos and, um, and, but there's also so many different sort of aspects that of exist of like the human experience that you could speak to. And so I kind of didn't even know where to start. And I was like, I'm just going to trust the flow of this. I'm just gonna, like, I, I could show you, I have like five things written on the notepad and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to trust that we're going to sit down and it's just going to come out and it's just going to flow. And thank God, because you know what? I feel as though you're in a transition where I'm glad that I didn't come up with, mm. tell me the three things that we should look out for when it comes yeah. to, so I met you and you met me, like we literally met each other right where, right at the same place. I think that's a very interesting thing. Actually. It's really interesting. And I am so, I feel very grateful that you did that because <laughs> I, I definitely am in a transition. Mm. I definitely am. I, I, you know, it, it's weird. I, uh, about, I want to say I hit like 28 and I, when I was 27, I, I had a moment, like a little crisis moment where I was like, probably not a little crisis moment. That's me underplaying it. I had a crisis moment where I was like, I'm not, this should feel better than, than it does. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really like, I could literally tick off so many of the things that at 21 I would have said like these are the things you know whether it's like be a New York Times bestseller or like do tours around the world live in America that was like a dream was the idea of like living in the states and I just something wasn't right and I sort of slowed down like tried to take stock mm. more and reevaluate things and I actually mellowed a decent amount for Yet a couple of years. Yet you only got exponentially more popular. Well, the funny thing is, I over the last year and a half to two years, I I felt newly inspired. And that's been challenging because Oh in what way? Because I've taken on so much again. And like my inspiration is like Oh, I'm like, I, I got so many ideas and I got like, I really feel like there's so much I'm excited to talk about right now. And there's so much I'm excited to say, and it makes me go, yeah, let me do that. Let me, 
let me write another book. Let me do this. Let me take on this. Let us do. And before I know it, I'm, I've sort of wedged myself back into a place of insanity where there's so much going on and so much. And are I said you energized to, or are you tired? Well, energized, but it, it see, it's really difficult okay, because it's so, easy for, it's easy to take on a ton of things because you're inspired. Yeah. Right? But then you, you can get to, you know, Guy Winch, a friend of mine, he talked, he talked to me and said like, cause I was saying to Guy, I was like, Guy, Guy, I don't know if you know Guy, an amazing mm -hmm. therapist. And I remember saying to Guy, like, Guy, I'm, I'm like, I need to figure out how to, like, I should be enjoying more. Like, this is really amazing. I want to enjoy it. And I, I'm taking on so much and I'm loving my work, but I'm also like, I'm stressed. Like, I'm really stressed. And he had this great concept. And I want to make sure everyone knows this is Guy's concept, not mine. I love that you're mentioning a therapist and you're basically a therapist. I, well, I'm a different, I'm a different uh, uh, line of work, but I, I actually believe crediting is extremely important. I, I know it's off subject, but I just, I think one of the worst traits of the internet right now is the lack of credit that goes to people for the things they say that people are so quick to, um, to take something take and just speak it without talking about where they got it from or mm. who, without attributing. I think it's very poor form. Um, but, but Guy actually said to me, you know, everyone has this subjective kind of bar above which everything becomes overwhelming, below which things sure. are more enjoyable. Sure. And the problem is if you go above that bar, even a little bit, even the things that you previously enjoyed can suddenly start being corrupted by the overwhelm and the stress you have and you stop enjoying even the things that you were enjoying. He said, sometimes just bringing things not it's not about like take six months off and go to india and meditate it's about bringing things just below the bar mm. if you're a bit above the bar mm. bring things just below the bar again and you'll know when you're below it because you'll feel it you'll feel differently yeah. and my tendency is when i feel good i'm so extreme like i'm too extreme <laughs> i have a problem like well, I, I mean, dude, the name of this podcast is called Pretty, pretty intense, intense, so I, I get yeah, it, I I'm, get it. There are times when I'd be worthy of that title, but <laughs> I, I'm it's so extreme. Like I'll be like, I'll wake up on a Saturday and I'll be like, I'm so glad I've got the whole day free. Like, cause the, the last five days will have been insanity. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, I've got the whole weekend. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not going to plan anything. I'm just going to enjoy the weekend. And then I'll be like, kind of feel like training today i'm gonna go train today and i'll that like same day call up a trainer and i'll be like let's that let, very we, same day yeah, that yeah, you're yeah, so excited day. that you have same day time off within probably an hour later oh, i'll yeah. be like do you have any training so yeah okay i booked that in five o'clock maybe i should like go on a hike yeah and then That'd i'll be, be like, a nice relaxing afternoon you know what? i'm gonna clear that. out the garage <laughs> i've been meaning to do that and then before i know it i have booked a like this manic day and I, this kind of sounds like something I might do. Yeah, and I, I look at that and I'm, I, I have to remind me, and I have people around me that know me very, very well. And they're like, are you watching yourself? Like this is, it's very easy for me to suddenly go above that bar again because I'm mm. feeling good, right? I start to like oversubscribe every part of my life to the point where it's above the bar. And now what happens is you're in danger of a crash. Now there's a kind of, especially in our line of work where you have, 
attention and you have validation and you have and there's lots of like stimulation there's a sort of speedy feeling to it all that can get you running for a quite a long time at a ridiculous intensity okay. because it's got this like speedy edge to it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you're always in danger of like once you hit a level of like everything short circuits mm. and now i'm like cancel everything i don't want to do it like this is all too much i can't or you handle turn into a giant asshole and nobody's <laughs> nobody's safe around you i'm sorry that's what i do you do that i get quiet i get very quiet oh, really? and everyone's oh. like yeah oh, no. i get i sometimes oh. be, well usually before events i get i'm so loud on stage but before an event i'm so quiet, so quiet. people come up to me and if they've st just started working for me they'll be like is he in, is he okay is he in, is there something wrong and everyone who knows me will be like no he's fine he's just that, that's are you just like what organizing your thoughts or are you I don't, it, it, hit max it just, capacity it's a sort or? of it, it's because i i get i know i so badly want to do a good job mm that I just kind of get very insular. Yeah, it can be insular, it can be ego and, but I'm, I'm always having to manage that thing. And that's what I'm trying to, the reason I say I'm in transition is because I, I am my biggest goal in my life right now, or I, let me say this, I, the most important goal in my life right now is learning to really feel connected to everything as I do it instead of instead of just like adding because it's like more 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 let me just you know let me help more people let me do this let me do that how do you let make me... sure you're connected then I think if I'm how do you know you are because how do you know what to well say yes to? I I didn't what did I do I, I, I did a slot on Entertainment Tonight a few weeks ago and we were driving back from Entertainment Tonight and I was with Jameson and uh, he said to me, we were, we were on our way back to the house and he, I was like, I said out loud, like, what, do I, what else do I need to do today? And I was like, I had the adrenaline and I don't sure. love TV because I just, it's, I actually... I don't know. I find it hard to focus on things for the rest of the day once I come off TV. Mm. I sort of have this adrenaline and it just, I don't know, it tires me out. But we were on our way home and, uh, and I said, I was like, what do I need to do today? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what we need to do. We still have that video that we need to shoot for next weekend. So we're going to go home and shoot that. Mm. I wanted to murder him. Mate, I was going to say, you're like, like... <laughs> I, I really like, I felt so mad, irrationally mad. <laughs> I like wanted, I was like, so, gr and I suddenly turned so grumpy. Oh my God. So grumpy. And I was like. It went above the bar. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so for me, the recognition of that is, okay, I know that I am, this is a, whatever I'm doing right now, there is a pace, there is a pressure, there is a deadline I've put on myself mm -hmm. that is now detaching me from how wonderful everything actually is. Mm. And that whilst my ego doesn't want to give me an easier deadline, doesn't want to tell me that this thing that I really want to do today has to now be done later because it's one too many things. 
whilst my ego doesn't want to hear that, my happiness, my sense of enjoyment actually does need a different pace in order for all of this to, in order for me to keep doing a good job, frankly. Like when I started out and it was about survival, sometimes there's a pace that's determined by survival mode. Sure. And you do things it's a for different a different one. Yeah. <laughs> you do things for a time that you wouldn't do for a lifetime because we need to get out of this situation. Yeah. And I and I've felt that. But what has taken me time and still I find catches up with me is remembering that you're no longer surviving. That no, it's okay. Nothing's burning down. You're all right. No lion is chasing you. Yeah. We're not in survival You're mode. okay. You can... No like, need for FOMO. Yeah. Just enjoy, like, just do... it. Don't, and by enjoy this, I'm not going back on what I said earlier about, I don't think it's always fun, but enjoyment to me isn't fun. Enjoy. You can enjoy hard things. You can mm. enjoy things that are a struggle because you're, you're enjoying challenging yourself. If that has been sucked out of it and all that's left is this to-do list that makes you want to strangle everybody is because something's broken. And I have, I have done that to myself over and over again. And the reason I talk about, I think you were talking to, was it Alanis Morissette? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. We I did, saw uh... that. I saw a piece of that interview <laughs> that was really interesting to me where she said, she said something about like being the timid Mm -hmm. Like in inside, she's like a timid puppy, uh -huh. but outside there's this angry, like aggressive, like take charge type. Mm -hmm. And she said that often what we speak about the most is the counterpart to what we feel. Mm. And there is no doubt that uh, outside of the dating realm, one of the subjects I've been most passionate about is the uh, ability to enjoy things, to, um, to love the journey, to not become overwhelmed uh, by how many different things that you've got going on or the size of the problem that's there in your life. A lot of that has been because in my lifetime, I have experienced those things mm -hmm. an awful lot. And I'm always talking to myself on some level maybe not there are some videos where i'm solving a problem that gets put to me a lot and i'm solving that problem but but there's so much of you know i i don't i never make any bones about it like everything when i talk to people about self-love i'm passionate about that subject because i am well aware of what a tyrant i am to myself when i'm not practicing what i preach there mm. self-love is so necessary for me because I'm terrible to myself. It's like, I love to sort of share the perspective I have that, you know, when you see someone that you look up to, whether they be a guru or a leader of some kind, spirituality, whatever it may be, a coach, if they're going through a struggle in that very aspect, I'm like, of course they are. Why do you think they're interested in the subject? Yeah. You don't become passionate yeah. about something because you just like, it's like... It's not because it's not something you're not dealing with. Correct. And, and so, yeah, that's exactly I, I think right. it's in, it's important for people to understand that they should be. You, thank God that you gave yourself permission 
to be that vulnerable guy. So what I hear now, like, I'm curious then, because it seems so natural to just take it from like, okay, so, you know, how do you be in relationships, blah, 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 blah. And so go, what are you actually dealing with now? And you're dealing with transitions. So then, mm -hmm. so for me, I think the most applicable thing that it seems like you could share from sort of a coaching aspect would be, what would you say to people as far as, you know, call it red flags or whatever you want to, you know, use the use terminology that you'd make a video. But what were what are the signs that you are ready or a transition is calling you? Because hmm. it feels like while you're in it, you're kind of you got the signs. Hmm. So because there's a lot of people in that position, I think that we've come off of a year that's just been overwhelming, underwhelming, hard, and, you know, there's a lot of transitionings happening, transitions happening, um, but then there's just natural ones. You were falling into this transition anyway without sure. pandemics, without whatever else, and so sometimes these things like this can push us over the edge, but what would you, what would you say to people as far as with, from your experience that you would say, these are the signs that I would say to look for that are calling you to transition your life? That's a great question. I, um, we, we have a mutual friend, Lewis Howes. Yeah. And uh, in, at the end of 2019, I got a text from him in December saying me and a small group of people have got this really fortunate opportunity to go and spend five days with Wim Hof oh, yeah. just in a group of like 10 of us, which, you know, Wim Hof has blown up and hundreds of people go to his events and so on. He was like, we have a really unique opportunity just as 10 of us to spend five days with him going through this extreme kind of cold exposure. I'm so cold right now. I could not imagine going to Wim Hof right now. I'm like, I, Danica, can you I, see me shivering out here? I, this is not something that I would ever want to do. Like I'm I not, I'm not a thrill seeker so in that much. way. Okay. Like I have, I'm adventurous in my own way, but that's not my idea of like, I need to go and prove that I can sit in the ice for 10 minutes straight up to my neck or that I can climb the tallest mountain in Czechoslovakia in nothing but my shorts. I like, I, that's not something I would want to do. And yet something in that moment, Lewis texted me and I was like, okay. Say yes. <laughs> and that to me was a sign mm. because it wasn't something I wanted to do. Mm. But in my head, I thought, I'd been through a difficult year and I thought anything that shakes my life up right now in an interesting or challenging way is a good thing. Mm -hmm. In other words, talking about criteria, it wasn't about finding the perfect thing. It was just being like the thing that was needed was shake up. This fit the bill. I was like, this is going to be hard for me. And I don't associate, it's not like I associate with being wonderful in the cold. Like, oh, I'm going to be naturally good at this. No, I am going to be bad at this. Like, this is not my idea of a good time. I don't like cold water. I've never liked cold water. Period. Like, if someone's like, let's get in the pool. It's a bit chilly, but let's get in. I'm always like, I'm good. Unless Why would you we do that? Yeah, hot tub. Why would let we do me that? know. <laughs> but no. 
that's not fun to me. And so we went and it was extreme and it was incredibly difficult and all of that. But even afterwards, so it felt right. I thought that felt somehow like a weird clumsy move in the right direction. It felt like it, it shook me up. It gave me a different challenge. Mm. It forced me to do something I wasn't good at. Mm. It made me realize how much of my life I'd spent doing things I was good at. Mm. Um, and what, how limiting that can be. So I, that was a good sign for me was that on something I would normally always say no to, I felt myself tempted to say yes and did say yes. Those are interesting signs to watch out for. I think that another sign to watch out for is when the thing that you're really good at that's worked for you consistently in the past is no longer giving you the same bang for the buck. Mm. Like it used to scratch that itch. It used to do that thing. And it's like, it, this is not what I'm getting diminishing returns from this thing, mm -hmm. which I do think is often a sign that life, life is out of balance. Mm -hmm. um, and that we can continue to blindly do more of the same and keep achieving in the same way we always have. But it wasn't gonna change your life to get another trophy. It wasn't gonna change your life to get another accolade in the racing world. Like mm -hmm. now that's fine if you keep enjoying it and your life, there's other parts of your life that you love and all it all just kind of works in harmony. There's nothing wrong with continuing to do that. But I do think sometimes you reach a point where you go, I'm no longer growing. Yeah. I'm not, I, I like I know this game. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's a very different. Mm -hmm. It's not. Doesn't mean it's easy. But it's what I know, and it's what I'm comfortable with, and it's a kind of hard that I, that I'm comfortable with, mm -hmm. that I I inhabit as home, and I then start going. I, right now, I've realized in my life, like, what's necessary for this next chapter of my life is a different set of tools, different software. Mm a different operating system than the one that got me to where I am today. Do you think that subconsciously we are aware of the old saying, and I believe it to be true, that your new life is going to cost your old one? I, I do kind of, in, to, to some extent, believe Relationships, that. jobs, locations, people. I think that, well, I suppose I'm always careful of extremes because I think that if you take that that idea to its extreme, you have the justification for, you know, shaving your head and going and living as a monk. Um, so you're an extreme guy. You told me that at the beginning. I don't think I'm the, I don't know if that's my style is going and shaving my head and living with the monks for, I do it for a, a week. <laughs> I'll do that you got for the a hairstyle week. for a while though. No, I'm going to ask him if I don't, if I can keep my hair. <laughs> 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 I, <laughs> I, I'm careful of extremes, but I think that, I think that we do have to look at it and say, what, you know, where do I need to temper the, um, like this always dominates this thing over here always dominates, whether it's work or whether it's could be a relationship. Mm -hmm. could, this is the thing that tends to be my dominant thing, my addiction, my mm -hmm. whatever. And then saying, I'm going to start proactively investing more energy into a different way of thinking or this other thing over here that's going to bring me more balance. The danger, of course, of the thing over here that is still present in your life is that if you're not careful, it can slowly start to take hold again mm. or ramp up again. Because you it's might like a comfort zone. 
Right, and you still have your addiction to it. So yeah. it's like microdosing. You still, if you're not careful, you still can get your fix there. And I think it's having constant reminders That's why every you just day. Just microdosing phases. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know anything about microdosing. <laughs> I just think but it's, apparently you do. <laughs> it's. I like it as a term because I think we're always, yeah. we're all addicts. There is a like. I think addiction has this funny stigma around drugs, like substances it's true. and. People righteously love to proclaim that they don't do drugs. I've never done drugs or whatever. And you're like, you did drugs. You just did different ones. Yeah, you're addicted to that terrible cycle of relationships that you've been in. You're right. addicted to that that hormonal pain cycle you've been putting yeah. yourself through for the last however long. Exactly. You're I've watched totally you pick right. up your phone 10 times in the last 10 minutes. Like, it, we can get all righteous about, yeah, but I don't have that addiction but it's like it's all the same thing it is um and i i think that it's okay to maintain certain things in your life that have got you to where you are but to be to frame them differently there i have both a beautiful relationship with my work and an addict's relationship with my work and that doesn't mean that i okay i'm not going to work anymore it it's an awareness that I need to grow the beautiful relationship I have with my work and I need to be hyper aware of any time that the addict is taking over mm. because that becomes avoidance activity. Now it's distraction from whatever it is I need to do over here that is actually going to be the point of leverage in my life right now for making me happier. Mm. Doing this more isn't going to be the thing that changes the game for me now. I did it. Like, it's like going general. You need to go general with it. And it's not, not quite so specific. You need to, like, there's muscles that are underdeveloped. Yeah. You, this is an impressive muscle, what you've done over here. And the, you keep working it. People are going to keep commending you on what an impressive muscle it is. But, you know, that, that idea that you're only as strong as your weakest link. If outside of that, there is a unhappiness or there's an anxiety or there's a part of your life that's suffering or your relationships are suffering because you don't invest in them or that that's going to be the thing that brings down the hole mm. and that that i think is the thing we have to be aware we want to be doing what we do for a long time yeah. like i want to be doing this in 30 years i want to be still out there being able to be energetic and bring my best to the table so i have to play the long game on on what's going to bring me peace or happiness or de-stress me because otherwise this this thing that i do really well will be a flame that burns out very quickly and i would like to avoid that i think that's incredibly wise of you you're very wise for 33. it's easy to talk about it's harder to do but i'm working on it and thank you for continuing to share and grow and to, to grow and share the growth because that's vulnerability. It's implying that you can think a new thought, that you can become, you can transition, you can evolve, and it's you, your 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 fan base, your followers are going to are are on the same journey. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And you, as an interviewer, by the way, are wonderful. <laughs> You're really. I, I know that it's. Uh, how long have you been doing this for now? Uh, like a year and a half. Wow. Well, I think you, it's safe to say you, you got me talking about things mm -hmm. that I haven't talked about very much. So mm -hmm. you're great Good. at what you're doing. Good. Well, thank you.
Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.